0: Before we begin, we would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land from which we are recording and you are listening today. We pay our respect to their elders past, present and emerging. Always was and always will be Aboriginal land.
1: Welcome back to another episode of You Have My Interest. I'm Evelyn and together with my colleague Maddie, we're mortgage brokers here to help you make smart moves with your money by giving you tips, tricks and tools to help navigate your wealth journey. Hey Mads, how are you today?
0: Oh, it's been a really good day. I am looking forward to the weekend coming up shortly.
1: Nice. Have you got much planned?
0: Uh, My dad is actually moving in with me this weekend. (laughs) So the house is a mess and um, I forget how much older generations accumulate things over time in comparison to me. So I have furniture, but I don't have a lot of stuff. But dad has a lot of stuff. So it's going to be really interesting. Uh, Also having a different way of living in a bit of different dynamics you know I used to live with him when I was a kid and it was his house and now it's my house and he's paying me rent and it's just a bit weird
1: yeah I love how the roles have completely reversed you can it like there is no traditional way I mean there is a traditional way to live in a property of course but there is no right or wrong way I should say. Um, and your sort of case in point of that, the fact that your dad is now moving in with you. So I think it's quite interesting, I know. but you've got a solid yeah, tenant there, so it works well
0: i know i mean I've, I've left the nest just for him to follow me there anyway but it works for him he was paying 750 a week in rent and so he's gonna be paying less than half of that with me so it Amazing. works for both of us he helps yep. me around the house i cook him food just the and usual you have a stuff permanent so i'm dog looking sitter, forward so to it what
1: else could you want
0: i know and he's gonna yeah. be happy he has the dogs around so it'd be really good i'm looking forward to having him around a lot more
1: yeah that's what about awesome. you anything planned well, this week we are preparing for the final renovations on the property out in Gladysdale which is near Warburton. So, there are a whole lot of trenches that have been dug around the property at the moment. And my dog and I are going to head there tomorrow and try and keep him out of the trenches. And then we've got to move all <laughs> the stuff out of the house so that we can hand over the keys to the builder. So, there's a bit going on. Um, but yeah, I'm looking forward to it.
0: For those that obviously don't know, uh, what renovations are you guys doing over there yeah
1: so um, my partner and I are doing a project out in Warburton which is going to be um, a retreat effectively so we're putting in a sauna we're putting in a plunge pool it's going to be like a wellness a wellness type property where you can go and escape into the rainforesty kind of area um, it's going to be beautifully renovated we're going for sort of earthy tones we've done all of the well I should say not we he's done a lot of it um <laughs> and has, I guess, made a very intentional sort of plan in terms of how he wants the property to look and feel. And it's on a beautiful 10,000 square meter block with a river running through the back of it and plenty of sort of forest land out the back. So it's fantastic. I can't wait till we Airbnb it. We're potentially gonna move there. We're not sure at this stage, maybe just for a year. Um, I have a feeling once the renos are done, we'll want to move there. But we'll see how it goes because it is an hour and a half roughly out of Melbourne. Um, But even if we do Airbnb it on weekends that it's free, we can absolutely go and use it. And I just think it's a beautiful place to kind of get away and switch off and really be immersed in nature. So that's what we're up to.
0: I mean, the last thing I think I would want to do is as soon as I renovate a property, just to let other people enjoy the renovations, you want to enjoy them yourself. I know. So I... I think it would be awesome and that's the best part of we technically can work from anywhere so yeah. you can work over there if you want to
1: that's That'd it. Be really so cool we'll see what I can't wait to see it yes we'll have to I, um, have, we'll just have to move the office out there for a week <laughs> oh for sure I'll just come come take the trek down there for the week yeah. when I'm down yeah yeah it should be amazing especially the sauna area I can't wait to see that
0: yeah, it looks, I, I can't wait. And I, I think it's going to be awesome. Are you doing a plunge pools as yep. like a
1: proper full pool or are you no, doing the like be little like barrels? Yeah, barrel yeah. type thing. Yeah. We're actually going to get some old wine, wine barrels. It's in a little winery region. So there's plenty of wineries around. Oh, and we'll see okay. what we can do. We, we're sort of sussing out whether or not there's opportunities to make um, insulated wine barrels that you can effectively have as ice baths. But someone did tell me that, It can be really difficult to do it that way because the wood doesn't store um or like keep in the cold as much um the insulation's not as good as if you for example had like you know how people turn have those um fridge ice baths they're like a massive freezer chest freezer yeah so that's the best way to do it because it the the material that it's made out of is so good for sort of insulating that temperature um but yeah we'll see what happens we've got a few plumber friends that are sussing it out for us (laughs)
0: I know that we're talking about property renovations, but that's not the topic of the podcast today. (laughs) It's a little bit different. We are going off track. Yeah. Uh, So today we're going to be doing some self-employed policy. Yep chats and just everything to do with people that are self-employed, sole traders, partnerships, yep. companies, all of that stuff. I think we speak a lot about PAYG. So it's time yes. to get into the nitty gritty of things that you love to talk about, which I know you've been wanting to do an app like yes, this for a while. this is one
1: of my favorites. <laughs> well, actually, we can kind of segue because this property was bought under a self-employed structure, um, not in terms of the yeah, actual true. borrowing entity. The borrowing entity was an individual, but both my partner and i are self-employed so it was purchased through one of those policies that we are going to discuss um so yeah exactly that's a, nice so there's way. a link there <laughs> yeah
0: so i'm obviously not as experienced in this space so the way that this podcast is going to work is i'll probably ask most of the questions and i'll be learning alongside everybody listening and evelyn can do most of the answering and delving into really what the
1: whole self-employed world is about mm. well let's get into it mads Do you want to kick off with going through some of the self-employed structures just to give people a bit of context in terms of how you can set up a company?
0: For sure. Um, So, there's a couple, I think that the ones we'll probably go through today is sole trader, company, trust and partnership. Yeah. So, do you want to take us through what the differences are really between all four of them probably starting with sole trader first off
1: yeah yeah absolutely I'm going to keep this super super basic because we're obviously not accountants and we can't give financial advice so I'm purely just going to talk about this from a basic level sort of um, financial borrowing kind of perspective effectively a sole trader is a structure that you are setting up where you are effectively the sole director and shareholder, but it's not a company entity. So it's um, basically you get an ABN in your individual name. That's really all it is. A company you can have multiple directors of, so you can effectively share in those profits. And a company might be, for example, if you and I, Maddie, set up a company and we had 50-50 shareholding and 50-50 directorships, and then we split the profits evenly between the two of us. With a company, you can also then link a trust to that company, which allows you to distribute the funds or distribute the profits in, um, I guess, more specific ways. And there are so many different trust structures. Um, And we'll do an episode later on with an accountant and go through the pros and cons of setting up different types of uh, trusts and why you may do that. Some people purchase property in trusts and sometimes the reasoning behind that is for asset protection purposes, particularly if they are a self-employed client and they don't want their actual company entity to be associated with the property that they're purchasing so you mm. can open up trusts for specific purposes such as um, an investment uh, like a, a trust that owns investments as an example and then it allows yeah. you to distribute the profits accordingly to the people that are beneficiaries of that trust so they're probably the main ones companies and trusts get a little bit more complicated and um, A lot of people that we see are sole traders as well where there may not really be a benefit for them to open up a company. It's more expensive to open up a company. They are taxed at different tax rates between a sole trader and a company entity as well. So that's where you really need to get some advice from an accountant as to what is the best structure for you. And there's also different liabilities associated with that so because the sole trader is effectively your name with an abn you're still liable for everything personally whereas with a company it's under a company's name and you're not directly linked to for example the loans in that company or the assets in that company or if your company were to potentially um, be liquidated or go bankrupt then potentially you as an individual are not going to be impacted by that company being declared bankrupt if that makes sense So there's more separation between an individual and a company than there is between an individual and a sole trading entity.
0: That makes sense. And what's a partnership?
1: So a partnership is usually treated fairly similarly from a bank's perspective to a company. But for accounting and for legal purposes, it is very, very different. So I'm definitely not going to get into the ins and outs of that. But it is effectively two or more people coming together to combine and create a, a new company.
0: Right. Okay. Back into something that you mentioned before that some people may not be aware of, especially if they're not self-employed. What are the different tax structures for a company in comparison to sole trader where it's just their individual income?
1: Yeah. So the sole trader is effectively taxed at that individual's PAYG tax margin or or bracket. Uh, Whereas Mm -hmm. the company has, is only taxed on its profits, but If it then distributes a salary, for example, to the director of that company, that director's salary would be taxed at the marginal tax rate as per any PAYG person. But the amount that then is left in the company is taxed at the company tax rate. So, you know the structure, you know the tax margins better than me. What's the company tax rate?
0: 30 percent
1: yeah and then what's an individual <laughs>
0: thank goodness <laughs> well like is it thirty-two and 37 percent ish is what yeah, individuals correct. are so it's so better if you being think, a company
1: think about a person who potentially makes 500 grand in a company right
0: yeah if
1: they distribute 500 grand to themselves how much are they going to be paying tax wise isn't it almost 40 50% 40 40 moment? 47 yeah 47% yeah. whereas in a company it's only taxed at 30% so that's one of the benefits to having a company and that's why people right. use trusts to distribute the income uh in smart ways so that they can make the most of minimizing the tax costs across various parties
0: and the reason they do that is because they can distribute trusts, like they can s- distribute the profits to other yes. people in a trust. So a lot of people yep. will put their kids as beneficiaries. Yep. And I think what, it's $17,000 per child or something. Well, you they're can, cracking down on that now. Tax-free. That's definitely. They are now. cracking I know down the, on it now.
1: They've definitely cracked down on it in the last 12 months or so. Um, but yeah, let's let's dive, digress away from the accounting question. Well, we're not accounting. We'll bring all of these to <laughs> we'll bring all these to the episodes that um that we do with an accountant in detail. But I guess that just gives people a bit of an overview on once you've Different got the types. company set up how it may potentially function. But then let's look at how the banks will actually assess that from a business mm. perspective and an income perspective.
0: So. Let's go through sole trader first, yep. and then we'll go through a company. I think that would be good. Yep. Um. So, with a sole trader, from a bank's perspective, what is their ideal client in terms of how long that they've been in they've been in their sole trader income for, yep. and what they're going to need to provide to a bank?
1: Yep. So, the number one criteria for anyone who is self employed looking to borrow money from a bank is that they must have their current ABN registered for a minimum of twenty four months. Now there are exceptions to that, as there's always exceptions to things. Uh, If you have moved from self uh, from sole trader into a company, for example, then sometimes they can look at a shorter term. ABN for the company registration, providing that you have been a sole trader for a longer period of time anyway. So there are sometimes exceptions, but the general rule of thumb is as long as the current ABN that you're earning the income off and that we're using for your income purposes has been registered for 24 months, you are eligible to borrow money from the bank. So
0: what if you are somebody that was PAYG in your industry and then you've decided to go out on your own as a sole trader? Is it the same thing in 24 months?
1: Yeah, it's pretty much always going to be 24 months. Again, there's exceptions to the rule, but generally you're looking at a non-conforming lender that will take a shorter ABN registration. And in some cases, banks can take 12 months or 18 months, but it's usually very specific industry-wise. Like it might be a medical industry or IT, yeah, because doctors. often IT professionals get um, contracts where they need to be a sole trader for that period. And the general, the, the kind of the rule of thumb there is: as long as their sole trading income is earning more than what they would have when they were PAYG, because why else would they set up the company structure that way? Yeah then the bank can usually work off that or they'll work off the PAYG income that you used to earn as a fallback position.
0: Okay, that makes sense. And are there any banks that will, that aren't non-conforming lenders that will take anything less than that? What about 12 to 18 months?
1: Yeah, so there's a couple. Um, There's definitely two banks that I know that will absolutely take your income so long as you've been uh, ABN registered for 18 months. I guess the Mm -hmm. biggest caveat to that is when banks are assessing you for your self-employed income, they generally want to see at least one full year's worth of financials that they can actually assess off. So the biggest difference between PAYG and self-employed income when a bank's looking at it is the banks, when they look at PAYG, they're looking at what you're earning today so what's your base salary as of your most recent payslip today how much is actually coming into your bank account on a regular basis they may add overtime, they may add all sorts of other things that you've accumulated over that financial year but they're really looking at what's happening today with a company or with any sort of self-employed structure the banks are looking at historical data we know that companies report in financial years and so the banks will want to see the financial years Uh, evidence which is usually a tax return or financial statements or both that then demonstrate how much they've earned in that 12 months altogether and I guess there's lots of reasoning for that but in particular if you think about self-employed income is a lot more lumpy than PAYG where you're literally just getting paid the same wage on a regular basis and self-employed income can also be quite seasonal So as a result of that, they want to look at 12 months worth of data that shows then effectively an average over that year um, and they can take that for servicing.
0: That makes sense. And say if you've been in you've been a sole trader for two years and it's from January to January. You technically only have one full year of financials on a financial year, but you'd have six months on either side. Is that still okay, even though you can only show one full year of financials in your tax return?
1: Yeah, so that's where, unfortunately, if we're in January at the moment and you last reported your financials in June last year, the banks are still only looking up until June last year. They're not looking at what you're earning in January now. So yes. yes it is okay so long as we can show them June to June or July to June being the financial year. What about BAS statements? BAS statements come into evidencing I guess if you've had trends in your self-employed income. So for example um a okay, backtrack on that. You can report your or you can uh, issue your BAS statements quarterly, monthly or annually. Most people do mm-hmm. quarterly BAS statements. So we're looking mm-hmm. at uh the March June, September, and December quarters. Mm-hmm. So where BAS statements can come into consideration outside of low-doc policies, which I'll go through towards you know a bit later on, but where BAS statements can come into helping your self-employed income for assessment purposes is if I've only got one full financial year's worth of data to show my bank, but we're recording this episode right now in June, I haven't yet reported 11 months yet of, mm-hmm. da- of data but i've been earning income for another 11 months but the bank's still looking at my june 2022 figures so i can mm-hmm. actually give my bank income figures for my september december and March quarter BAS statements to show that my income is actually trending upwards and that I'm able to sustain what I showed them in that previous financial year. Doesn't mean that they're going to use my BAS statements for servicing, but it does mean that they're, they're now comfortable resting on that most recent year because I've shown them that upwards trajectory.
0: Yeah, you can show continuity of the income yes. from the previous year or yep, the more. Okay. Exactly. That makes sense. Yeah. Awesome. So now we know how long you need to be registered from an ABN's perspective, either for sole trader or company. It's essentially the same for both. Yeah. Why don't we do some hypothetical scenarios on how a company or sorry, how a bank will assess the income. So if I'm a sole trader, I'm working as a doctor and I earned $150,000 in the financial year of 2021. Yeah. And then I earned $230,000 in the financial year of 2022. Yeah how are they going to assess that income?
1: Yeah, so basically the first thing that the bank's gonna wanna see or that we're gonna wanna see is the brokers. We're gonna ask for the tax returns for your sole trading entity, which is your personal tax returns for the last two years. What we're then gonna do generally when we're looking at sole traders is we're looking at what's called non-primary production. And that's a section in the tax return that reports how much income you received in your sole trading ABN It then lists all the expenses that you incurred and then it will report a net profit. That net profit is what the bank will start with when they're assessing your income. So they're going to look at the net profit from 2021, which you said was 150, the net profit from 2022, which was 230. Now, majority of banks are going to take the average of those two years. Some banks, particularly given you just told me you're a doctor, Maddie, are going to take Mm -hmm. the most recent year because they're actually quite comfortable, number one, with that occupation. And number two, um, some banks have policies whereby if you can explain why the income has increased from year to year, they will take the most recent year. Now I'm gonna throw a spanner in the works there as well. Some banks have a really interesting rule, the 120% rule, which means they'll look at the lower, so the first year, and they'll times that by 120% and they'll take that figure. So that's not gonna be your average, but, they will take more than the lower,
0: and that would add thirty thousand dollars. So, one hundred fifty thousand dollars times by twenty percent is thirty okay? k. So then yep. they would only assess at one hundred eighty thousand dollars. Yeah, correct. So it's one hundred fifty plus the thirty. Yeah, and that's nowhere near. Well, that's nowhere not near really the two thirty. So
1: you're definitely no. going to get a higher borrowing capacity from someone taking the two thirty.
0: For sure. And um, what if I wasn't a doctor and I was a hairdresser, for instance, yep. why does the occupation change what the banks are happy with?
1: Generally, banks will favour doctors more uh, or just any sort of medical professional. Or
0: pro- white label professional. Correct. Yeah. yeah. Your
1: accountants, your solicitors, your doctors, your specialists Where's... in the medical field, those types of professions um it doesn't it's not a blanket rule but they tend to because they know that they have stable income and they're highly sought after professionals yeah. if you were a hairdresser for example operating as a sole trader exactly the same figures if you could explain to me why your income has increased so dramatically year on year and it could be that 2021 was your startup year then absolutely mm-hmm. fine there are still banks that will take your second year
0: Covid as well is yeah. Covid is a big
1: one for sure. Let's jump into Covid. If you have Covid related income showing in your top line, being your um, the income that you receive, if you have Covid related income in your financials, whether it be in your personal tax return or the company, um, a lot of banks used to strip that out because it wasn't technically money that you'd earned from your trading. It was money that you'd Mm -hmm. earned from the government, and it was most of the time tax free. Or so a that's tax all the exempt, I should say. Things. Correct. Yeah.
0: So a lot of people got grants over COVID. Okay. Yeah.
1: Whereas now a lot of banks are starting to say, actually we don't care if there's COVID related income anymore because it was so long ago that it's not really showing up in most people's most recent financial year. Uh, and also so long as we can see that their income has now trended back upwards to at least what they received previously. Then we don't need to take that COVID income out because it, they were only hit for that period of time.
0: Yeah, and I mean, if you're earning one fifty and then two thirty, and the one fifty was including COVID, you can show that two thirty is without it. Yeah, they're not going to really stress about exactly that anyway. right.
1: Exactly right. Well, then let's have a look at a company structure. So, you might still be a doctor. Uh, doctors, I generally don't see have company structures like this Companies. let's go with an accountant <laughs> okay an accountant. you're an accountant all right. you pay yourself a director's wage of 100 grand per year you also report a profit in the company of 100 grand but let's say you had some liabilities let's say that you also had a car that you put under the business's name and you drove around and you expensed all of your items associated with the car through that, um, and that car had a loan against it, which is really common in companies. We do often see that businesses have loans. Then- A lot of write-offs coming up for this correct. month. and the so financial now year. <laughs> your net profit is actually gonna be lower because you've written off the car, you've got interest against the car, all of those types of things which show in your profit and loss statement. How the bank is gonna look at that is most of the time they'll take out what you've paid yourself as a director's wage and they're gonna assess that on a PAYG basis. When they're looking specifically at what's left in the company, they're looking at the net profit, and then if there is any sort of write-off that is a non-reoccurring expense, um, and it's more of a—I like to say like a paper-based um, expense. So depreciation is not something you physically pay; it's more of a paper-related cost. Like you write it down something and and just take claim it off. It on. yeah. The, uh, yeah, income but it's not really something you physically paid because it's a depreciating asset so let's say you had um, depreciated that car what we can then do is we can add that back into our net profit and we can often then add back the interest charge that was charged against the vehicle what we do need to make sure we do is expense the company debts in the company assets so there's a little bit of serviceability there but effectively because we see that a lot of companies use things like instant asset write-off or depreciation or they you know they buy large pieces of equipment and they depreciate that over the course of a few years um, those being paper losses uh, paper deductions let's say and not something that is going to be reoccurring in their general trading we can add back to the profits for servicing so I see that all the time, particularly in companies um, that have a lot of vehicles where they might have purchased new vehicles or purchased new equipment, trucks, etc. cetera. Um, that happens quite frequently. So it's a really good thing where some people might say, oh, but my profit is only $20,000, but you've actually written off a vehicle of 50 grand. So technically we're assessing you with 70 grand in the company.
0: Yeah. And is there anything else that we can add back to income?
1: There's a few things you might have. Um, it's pretty much going to be anything that's not going to be reoccurring the next year. So even if, yeah. for example, you had been paying rent, but then you co- you bought a commercial property and then you were going to be moving into the commercial property, your rent is going to change. So we can mm-hmm. actually change the way that we've apportioned that. Um, if you've paid, here's another big one. If you've paid superannuation over and above the 10.5% current superannuation requirement, that can be added back. To, to your made, employees. Yeah. No, no, no. To you oh, personally oh, as a director. Oh, okay, to right, you as personally as a director, sense. yeah. Because you've actually made an additional contribution above the minimum requirements from a government perspective.
0: Oh that's cool. I didn't yeah. even know that one.
1: Yep. Yeah. yeah, so there's a few things to be added back.
0: So, you mentioned in this scenario that they had $100,000 of a director's wage and $100,000 of net profits. Is that net profits not including the director's wage?
1: Yes. Because the wages
0: are technically a wage, right? They're they're separate.
1: Yeah. So, the wages has already been accounted for in the profit and loss statement. That company, Mm -hmm. as an example, might have 10 employees and their wage costs might actually be 500 grand. But 100 grand of that was already accounted for in the director's wage that we've assessed under a PAYG income threshold. And then we've um, we've accounted for a hundred grand at a company tax threshold. So they're using two hundred grand for servicing. Two hundred thousand. Yeah,
0: that makes sense. Yeah, awesome. So what if you had a business partner? Does that change?
1: Yeah, it does because if you're only a fifty percent director and shareholder of that company, you're only entitled to fifty percent of the profits. So in that case, mm-hmm. we're using still your one hundred k salary that you've paid yourself as a director because you're still entitled to that full amount. But now we've got to divide the profits by two. So we're only using $50,000 from the company.
0: And what if someone has multiple businesses that they have in their name?
1: Yeah, so we see this a lot where people have quite complex structures where they might have, you know, a few different businesses with trust structures and there's income flowing through, you know, five potential entities before it ends up in their personal tax return. This happens a lot um so there's a few ways that a bank can assess this and as soon as you start getting a little bit complex with the loan structures uh not with the loan as soon as you start getting a little bit complex with the income structures and how many business entities there are it leaves room for interpretation from an assessor's point of view so my Mm -hmm. personal preference in terms of how that is assessed for serviceability purposes is firstly always just to look at what the directors paid themselves And if the loan services purely off what the director has paid themselves, there are a number of banks and more and more so are are taking this approach now as well. There are a number of banks that will purely look at the director's wage and then we just need to provide an accountant letter to confirm that all of their business entities are trading profitably and they can all meet their liabilities and their obligations. And then that way, the bank don't even need to see the tax returns for all those entities. So if there is income being distributed to multiple parties, if there are company liabilities, anything like that, Um, the bank doesn't need to look at that. They can ignore the company's trading and they'll just take that director's income. It's a fantastic way to simplify a self-employed scenario, providing obviously that that's services and that's enough to do what they wanna do. If they then need to use the company entity, um, that's where we need to actually follow the flow of income. And I guess that's where knowing the bank's policies really specifically is useful because they will all look at that a little bit differently um Mm. but generally they want to follow the flow of income and take the portion that is allocated to you at the end of the day
0: you made really good points in terms of the newer policies that have come out and one being just taking director's wages yeah so let's say that we don't want to even look at the company financials we pay ourselves 100k per year and that's enough for us to now buy a property yeah we pay ourselves just directly into our bank account what does it bank need to see to be able to service that loan do they need to see financial statements or do they just need to see a bank account
1: yeah really good question it depends on the bank's policies traditionally what they would want to have seen is your individual tax return because that actually shows what's been lodged to the ATO and what's been reported in your personal name and if you look at if, you're a, um, if you have a company and you pay yourself a director's wage, it's going to be page two or three on the tax return that you look up right at the mm-hmm. top. It'll say PAYG income or salary income received and then it'll have your business ABN and it'll have 100K beside it. Generally, that's the way that banks used to look at it but there are so many now that are taking a, let's say, a modern day approach to the way that they assess mm-hmm. self-employed and this has opened up so many doors for us to assist clients um, and that is... If you, for example, you haven't lodged your 2022 tax return yet, because I know some self-employed clients won't do that until August this year, but you've been paying yourself regularly into your bank accounts for at least the last three or six months, then the banks, there's a variety of ways to assess it. One, they'll just look at the salary credits for the last six months. As long as they've been regular in terms of the amount and the date and the frequency that that's paid, they will then annualise that out and use that income for servicing with an accountant's letter to verify that your business is trading profitably and you can pay that self that wage to yourself consistently. So that's one form of so verification. Good. So and, good. you know, you could have an extremely profitable business, but you just haven't lodged a tax return, which banks now need to see 2022s because anything um, further back than that is too old for them to accept at the moment. So mm. if you haven't lodged that, but you're paying yourself a good wage, we can still take that for servicing. Another method, which a lot of banks are doing, particularly if the loan amount is under 80%, is they're literally just taking your most recent payslip, showing your director's wage on it. And I almost blew my mind when um, I knew that Bankwest was doing this. But they in particular will then just look at whatever your current salary, like whatever your wage was. So for example, we're in the month of June at the moment. If I have given myself a pay rise this month and I've paid myself 10 grand for this month, the bank's going to take 120 grand of income. 10 times 12, 120 what? grand, right? Yep. Even
0: if you are paying yourself 5 grand in April.
1: Yep. Right?
0: What? They that need is to back insane. it up with an accountant
1: letter to confirm again yeah. that the business is trading profitably and it has the ability to continue to pay yourself that wage.
0: That makes sense. So yeah.
1: some accountants don't want to sign that. Um, Bankwest, as an example, I'll stick with them because I know their policy really well around this. Um, if you can't provide the accountant letter, another form of verification that they're happy to assist with that would be your POIG, ah, not your POIG summary, your income tax return from the last financial year that just confirms that you've been paying yourself a director's wage for that period of time. Mm-hmm. They'll still take what you're currently earning today, which goes against everything I said at the start of this episode around how, how banks assess your self employed income. But it is a new policy they've brought out. They have been getting tons of business from it and it has honestly opened up so many doors for our clients in particular who have you know 10 higher purchases in their businesses for vehicles or, or equipment that they've purchased to help them run their businesses whilst keeping their cash flow level and maintained so there's so many ways that that self-employed works now um, and particularly if you are the director I just think self-employed have so many options in terms of um, flexibility of assessment policies that usually with PAYG, you look at it and if you're receiving that, that's what you're taking.
0: I think it's really important because I, I remember when we had, a, we had a meeting with a BDM about this last year actually. Yeah. But, you know, most people, especially within the 20s to 30s, a lot of us have our own abns and a lot of us have our own businesses yeah even if they're side hustles everyone these days are are actually doing side hustles we've got multiple income streams yeah it's becoming very very common to start having your own business and making Mm. your own income for yourself not as a -A payg employee so i'm really glad that banks are starting to take this into consideration and are moving towards more modern day as you said methods of assessing income and looking more i guess in the future instead of historically, I just think it's really interesting and I think this is going to be something that changes a lot over the next few years and it will continue to as well.
1: Well, Maddie, if we take an example of that side hustle, let's say you're in a POIG job but on the weekends you make jewellery and you sell that jewellery and you have had your ABN registered. So as long as it follows those rules, you've had your ABN registered for 24 months, you may not have even reported any income in the first year but in the second financial year you might have reported – a $20,000 net profit from that jewellery that you made, well, the bank can now take your PAYG income plus the 20K profit from your uh, sole trading entity and now you've all of a sudden got more income for servicing. So there are so many ways to do it.
0: Yeah, no, it's, it's amazing. And I think it's really cool and something that people will find that it's not just one or the other. You don't have to be PAYG or yeah. self-employed. You can be both. Yeah. And I think it's really cool. It's really exciting. And I think it's a space that's always, it's only ever going to grow. Correct. But you briefly touched on it before at the start in terms of what type of documentation is required. Yeah. What is a low doc loan and what yeah. is required from a bank's perspective to be able to service that?
1: Yeah, so low doc literally means uh, a different form of verification. So different documents, um, low meaning usually less, less documentation to the bank. So yeah. usually, uh, I guess to give a bit of context, the biggest hurdles that I see for self-employed applicants, number one, the ABN isn't registered for long enough. Number two, tax and borrowing does not go hand in hand. Most people are trying to either minimise tax or maximise borrowing and they don't ever work together. So they're usually (laughs) reporting less of a profit than they need. And number three is that the actual income method of verification can often be really old. Like I said earlier, if we're in June at the moment, the last reported financial statements that I have to show a bank is June last year. We could have had significant increase in growth and profitability, Mm. but the bank will still look at what I was earning last year. So out of that came low-doc loans, where potentially you had someone who was – newly established as a business so they had less than 24 months worth of abn history um, in some low-doc instances you can have your abn registered for six months now you're going to pay a higher interest rate for that because it's more risky to of the course. bank but they have created ways to get you over the line before you're eligible for a bank's policy so, um, yeah, usually the things that will benefit you if you, if you do need to go down the low dock path is shorter term ABN registration, different forms of verification. So rather than tax returns or financial statements, if for whatever reason you can't produce those or you don't want to because maybe you've got multiple directors and there's sort of, you know, privacy restrictions almost about supplying my personal plus my partner's personal tax returns um, and, you know, everything under the sun. They might just want to provide the BAS statements or business trading accounts to show what my income is currently um, coming in at rather than historically. So it's basically just providing different forms to verify that might suit you as a borrower better. Given that it's not a traditional two years, full financials type of verification, you usually get paid, usually get charged a higher interest rate.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, it's got to go hand in hand, right? Yeah. Less, More risky, higher rate, less yep. risky, less rate. Correct. Makes sense. We're now in June. We're coming up to the end of the reporting period for June and end of financial year. Is there anything that borrowers, if they're looking to purchase shortly, that they should be looking out for if they're self-employed?
1: Yeah, for sure. It's a tricky one because, you know, I've often looked at financials for a client um, in terms of their interim financials. So they're July one figures right up into the current date and looked at what's their income, what are their expenses, what have they paid themselves and sort of worked out rough borrowing capacities. So much can change in a month when you're self-employed, particularly if it's the last month of the financial year. So looking at something like that and sort of a, um, I guess, and looking at, for example, your forecasted financials for that full financial year can be really beneficial for you to go, okay, so if I reported this much profit how much could I then borrow to help me buy a property? Um, I guess where it then isn't always accurate is because things like depreciation and interest are then usually um, accounted for later on when your accountant finalizes your financials. So that's where having a relationship with your accountant and your broker together can be really, really advantageous. Um, But it may potentially mean that you delay buying an asset or making an expense so that you can report a higher profit for that period if you're really close to you know getting over the line with a certain borrowing capacity that you want to achieve so I would strongly encourage people to be reviewing their finances before the end of the financial year when everything is set in stone um, and having good conversations with your finance with your accountant in terms of what your future plans are both in your company but personally as well
0: yeah for sure i think that's a really good tip to end on
1: yeah fantastic well hopefully that's given people a little bit of an overview in terms of what banks look for and the various various ways that self-employed income can be assessed Um, you know we can never go through everything so we don't want to overcomplicate it if we can help it Um, but unfortunately self-employed is one of those complicated topics so if anyone does have specific questions they're always welcome to reach out to us and hopefully we can give them a little bit more intel for their specific financials and their requirements
0: Awesome, and we'll be doing a QA and a episode next week yes. to be able to go through a little bit of different questions, maybe some scenarios and yeah. any questions that you throw at us.
1: Awesome, sounds good, Maddie. Well, lovely speaking to you as always and we look forward to tuning in with everyone next week.
0: Sounds good. See you later. See ya. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of You Have My Interest. Remember to subscribe to
1: the show on your favourite podcast player. To find out more about how Everland can help educate and empower you to achieve your goals with finance and property, just visit everland.com.au forward slash podcasts and book in a free discovery call.